Welcome to the AESD Scoop, connecting beyond the classroom to bring you conversations pertaining to our children, the future generation. Connecting with local and national experts to answer igniting questions the kids of tomorrow face. Connecting to bring you trustworthy resources, advice, and expertise for modern day families. Tune in on Wednesday and follow us on social media for more. This is the AESD Scoop. Good afternoon. Welcome to AESD Scoop. We're excited to bring a podcast that is going to connect our Avondale listeners and listeners across the nation to be able to hear about the happenings that impact youth in education today. And I can't think of a more important topic to bring to you than to be talking about the pandemic and how it's impacted what's happening in our schools, specifically here in Arizona, but certainly it can be applied to anywhere. So uh, we have today Dr. Moran, who is one of what I would call the leading expert here in Arizona around the work that, that is happening with dealing with COVID-19 and how it impacts school. So if I could ask Dr. Moran to please uh, take a moment to introduce yourself, and I want to thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, and I'm honored to be uh, in your podcast. Um, I am Anna Moran, I'm a physician um, specializing in infectious diseases and infection control. Um, I am the medical director of Healthy Verify Certi Certification and um, I'm a, an, a clinical associate professor for Barrow Neurological Institute and Creighton University. Um, it's gonna be in, two, in three weeks, it'll be the year anniversary since school closures. It's hard to believe that it's been almost a full year and I will tell you that uh, when Avondale, much like most schools across the nation, uh, first were impacted by COVID, it literally was, we were on spring break and we were ready to return. And then very quickly we're told we couldn't return. And in fact, through executive order. And so Dr. Moran, can you share with us the experiences that you had both as a parent and then also um, in, in your professional life of how you navigated both of those worlds? I think the first thing that was important for me to do, both as a parent and as a physician, and uh, certainly as an advisor uh, for schools, was to um, put things into perspective and try to understand um, how much we know about the virus um, and what's the safest approach um, with regards to um, our children. Schools are... Um, safer than we initially thought, um, based on evidence from uh, the United States and from all other countries. Um, and this is across different educational levels. Well, the risk is not zero, risk is lower than initially thought. And they, uh, the risk of in-person education, provided that um, proper mitigation measures are in place. Absolutely. Uh, what, what you're sharing, Dr. Moran, uh, mirrors the experiences that we've had right here in our community and certainly um, definitely part of the conversation that's happened with colleagues across the nation that, um, you know, the percent positivity that's being experienced in, in our school sites, in our facilities is very low. And uh, one of those reasons I keep hearing the mitigation strategies um, and, and definitely you brought up mask wearing um, as one of those. What are some other really key mitigation strategies that you have found or, or data has demonstrated have been highly successful and effective? 
um, in, uh, physical distancing where appropriate or where possible, I should say, it's always appropriate, but where possible. Um, and I think a key element to prevent transmission is that everyone, children and um, teachers, stay home when sick. Can you talk briefly around what you've heard and seen around the data with social emotional wellness of our children and our adults in this setting? Yes, there, there have been um, many um, studies um, at large scale studies as strongly argue in favor of doing everything we can as a community to allow for safely in-person education. Obviously not as the pre-COVID times, but during our times with mitigation measures, we go back to that with minimizing transmission in the community, trying to make every possible effort to keep the community transmission low. It's clear that there is a um, there is a harm in prolonged closures from schools, and I am not an educator. I think you would do much better at explaining this. But what I've seen and what I've read indicates that it's not just um, a um, negative impact on the academic the academics. Um, that's just one aspect. I think it's a psych psychological aspect of it, developmental. Um, in some um, instances, even safety issues, um, nutrition, you know, uh, for, for some sectors in our society, um, the only healthy meal children get is in the school. Um, it is an oasis of safety from um, sometimes um, difficult personal lives in children, for children at home, etc. I, I can't agree with you more. Um, we have definitely seen the impact on child nutrition and making sure and finding every avenue that we possibly can to get, um, you know, those he healthy meals in, into the hands of our children. And um, as you said, every family structure has been impacted and, and at every level. However, I think we could all uh, be very comfortable in saying that children in poverty and children of color have been impacted in a way that just is far beyond um, anything that we possibly could have imagined. I had actually read a study uh, last week or two weeks ago around, you know, okay, so we have the learning loss. We're all going to agree we're going to have a learning loss and we're going to have a learning loss at all levels. Doesn't, doesn't, matter the makeup of a community, et cetera. Um, the and around that though is the learning loss over years, over a lifetime, over a generation that we are really going to be challenged to face. And uh, to go back to what you said earlier, the sooner we can engage in uh, having children participating in, in a school setting with socialization, safe socialization in a safe environment with the mitigation strategies, the sooner we're able to start, you know, filling those gaps and in, in not just academically speaking, but those social emotional pieces as well. Yes. And, and um, I, I also read a, a study and, and read editorials that cited experiences from other situations like the 1918 pandemic and war um, in which schools were forced to close and kids stay at home. And it's, it's, it's beyond, so it's, it's not only what you said, very important, you know, safety, nutrition, education, 
it is known that a whole generation actually potentially will have their average um, life expectancy affected because education is associated with better health outcomes. And so in the long run, potentially, you're gonna have a whole generation with a potentially lower education level, potentially lower um, life expectancy. I mean, the, 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 the effects, the ripple effects are, are, are beyond what we can imagine. It's more than just 10 years from now, it could be decades and we will still be seeing the effects of um, the pandemic. On, on our society. I can't agree with you more. The, the next piece that you're bringing my thoughts to is, is around the new strains. So we all know viruses, they, they mutate, that's their, that's their power, right? And we've seen that um, in, in different set of circumstances with other viruses through our, our lifetime. Now we do have confirmed cases of variant strain. What is it that we can do in, in our settings um, and in our, our personal family lives mm -hmm. to be able to help uh, navigate that? The bad news is that there are about 50% more transmissible. So they are more, more readily transmissible from one person to another. That's the bad news. The really, really good news is that we know how to stop it. You stop every strain the same way. You wear masks, you keep distance, you wash your hands, you minimize gatherings. It's the same approach that we use with a wild type strain. That is, that is very encouraging news because in my mind that truly empowers every single person to be able to um, control their, their immediate set of circumstances. Um, and you said before, it's, it's um, a virus doesn't discriminate, right? Doesn't pick. It just it's it's a situation wherein someone comes in contact with it. But if we can minimize those opportunities, right? So it's an opportunist set of circumstances. Absolutely. If we can minimize yes. those opportunities, then we have a really good chance. Um, one thing that occurs to me is the lack of kind of traditional flu and colds that people would normally be experiencing right now. Uh, do you, do you want to, in my mind, that's a little bit of a collateral benefit maybe to the, the cir circumstances we're in. What are your thoughts around that? Um, and you bet. So for Arizona, the um, amount of flu cases has come down 99% compared to the same 99%. period of time. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. so my take home is, well, masks work. Hand washing works. Staying at home when sick works masks work, distance works, and you can see it in the uh, much lower amount of respiratory infections compared to the year before. That, that, that is wonderful news and certainly something um, that I, I would like to celebrate for certain. Absolutely. And, and you read my mind because I was going to ask, what, you know, predicting the future, do you see this as a long-lasting change in behaviors? Um, and again, the only thing consistent about COVID is the inconsistency. So I, it's probably, it depends and I'm not sure, right? Um, but <laughs> That's always the right answer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And this is what the data tells us right now. This is mm -hmm. the, you know, we're making the best decisions with the information we have at the time. Yeah. So I, I, I will do any, I will make any prediction you want me to, as long as you don't hold me to it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um uh, because remember, the only thing we know about vaccines is that they prevent illness, hospitalization, and death. 
we don't know yet if they prevent transmission. And transmission is what you're trying to prevent when you wear masks. So that's still up in the air. But having said that, let's pretend for a second that 100% of Americans want to get vaccinated and get vaccinated. And that the vaccine does not prevent transmission. It only prevents you to get infected. I'm sorry, um, um, sick, ill, uh, ill enough to notice. What if this, in that case, this coronavirus will become like one of the common cold viruses? And no big deal in that because you'll just get a little runny nose and a sore throat. You won't add in and end up intubated in the ICU. So that may be one case. Um, I think what's going to happen based on some preliminary data from Israel and from the uh, Moderna trials is that the vaccine will also prevent transmission to a certain extent. So far, it looks like it's between 50 and 60%, and this is totally preliminary data. Ask me again in two weeks. Um, or, you know, some people will wear masks when uh, flu season comes. You know, some people may say, oh, you know, I, I, in, in 2020 and 2021, I wore a mask and I did not get a single cold. And you know what? It doesn't bother me to wear a mask. I'll wear a mask. So some people might do it every winter. Certainly, I think all of us are looking forward to those days to come. I'm going to thank you, Dr. Moran, for being a part of our team and for bringing your expertise to us. Uh, this is uh, Betsy Hargrove. We are AESD Scoops, and we're really excited to be able to bring topics that we think are pertinent to everyone.